Welcome to the Foundry Church Podcast, helping you to forge a lifelong reliance on God. To find out more about the Foundry Church or how to get involved, visit us at thefoundrychurch.com. All right, so a husband went to the local police department and he was like, my wife is missing. He busts through the door, he's out of breath, and he yells at the the officer that is at the front desk, I don't know where she is, she went shopping yesterday and she has not come home yet, (laughs) please help me. So the officer, he's like, all right, calm down, calm down. Let me get some details so we can help find out where she is. Maybe we'll find her. And so the policeman, uh, he asked, "Um, what is her height? And the, the man, the husband, he went, I don't know, he, she's kind of short, maybe, maybe around here with a shrug, he lifts his hand up to his shoulder. He's like, I'm just not sure, somewhere around here. And the officer's like, okay, okay, well, um, what is her, uh, uh, how much does she weigh? And the, off, the, the, the husband, he's like, well, she's not little, but, but she's not fat either. Right? He, at least, at least the, this man knew better than to go there, right? And the policeman's like, okay, well, what about her eye color? And the, the husband said, I, I really never noticed. Um, and now this silly exchange, it just keeps going back and forth, back and forth. And, and the officer finally asks, well, what is her hair color? And the, the husband responds, well, she changes it so often. I'm not sure what it is this week. It just keeps going. All right, look, this husband is out of luck, right? He's out of luck. He can't, he can't give these details. I'm surprised he even noticed that his wife was missing in the first place. And what is happening here is this. The guy is missing some pretty key details, some pretty key information to find his wife, right? Right, guys, sometimes we miss details, don't we? Right, we miss details, key details, important details. Now, for the record, my Christina, Christina, my wife, she is 5'8". Her eyes, her eyes change color depending on what she wears. They're brown with a little bit of blue. And if you want to get specific, there's shades of green in there. Right? Her hair is brown. There's a little bit of red there. And I'm her husband. I'm not supposed to know her weight. It's perfect. Right? It's perfect. But just because I know that does not mean that I still miss some key information. Right? When, I, when I tell my wife's stories, for example, she always has a lot of questions for me because I apparently do not ask the right questions. For example, I once told her that one of my best friends from college was expecting his first child. She then followed up with a list of questions for me. Things like, when is she due? What are they having? When is the baby shower? What color are they painting the nursery? She asked, where are they registered? Are they having a home birth? And I just looked at her like, I don't know. And I looked her straight in the eye and I said, you are lucky that I know they're expecting an actual human baby and not just getting a puppy. (laughs) Listen, I'm, I'm not a details person. And so I've realized that, that all these last weeks, as a church, we have been talking about following Jesus. Right? We've, been, we've been looking at what it really means to follow Jesus. Right? And we, we, we asked what Jesus' followers act like. We, we've asked the questions about what they believe. We even talked about what they wear. Right, what I'm wearing, no, I'm just kidding. right? They wear grace and truth and love and peace, right? But look, this is what it came down to, right? We were learning that we have to be a follower of Jesus and not just a consumer of the things that he has to offer us, right? We literally, we got to follow him and not just consume the benefits, right? That's what we've been learning. But I got to be honest here. Here's the deal, Foundry Church. I've done you a little bit of a disservice. I've done you a little bit disservice because I've left out a pretty big detail. I never actually told you why you should follow Jesus in the first place. Why you should forge your life on God in the first place. Sure, I said that following Jesus will make you a better person. But so will following any number of people in this world. Right? Right? So here's the deal. 
before we, we get into this thing, before we peel this onion and look at these layers, I want us to zoom out here for just a quick second. All right, maybe you gave up following Jesus. All right, maybe as you grew up, you gave up following him and forging your life on him. And maybe if I were to hear your story, I would respond with, well, who could blame you for giving up? Right? If that happened to me, if I had experienced what you experienced, if church people uh, had treated someone that I love the way that church people treated someone that you love or even treated you, I would give up too. Right? Or if that is how the, the Bible was used and abused, who could blame you for walking away from faith? Right? Who needs religion if that is what it ultimately leads to? Right? Now, unfortunately... Right? And you've probably never heard something like this on an Easter Sunday, but take a look. Right? Sometimes bad Christians happen to good people. Right? If we're just zooming out here, right? Sometimes, right? Sometimes people who claim to love Jesus do not do a great job at loving people, the people who Jesus died for, including themselves. Right? And it leaves a really bad taste in our mouth. And so today you're like, it's Easter, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to find a church and pulled in here. Or, or maybe your mom asked you to come to church, and so you did, right? So if that is you, first, let me say thank you. Thank you, right? Thank you for giving Jesus a second chance. And if you will allow me, I want to take you back to the moment in time before. Right? I want to take you back to that moment in time before there were any Christians, before there was an Easter resurrection celebration even, before there were even any churches, before it all. Right? That is how we're going to peel this onion this morning. The onion of why. Why should I follow Jesus? A moment where Jesus' original followers were, were asking the same questions that we're asking today and have been asking the last seven weeks as a church. All right? Why should I follow Jesus? Why should I follow Jesus? All right? They were, they were struggling with the same thoughts and the same feelings that some of us are having today. Feelings of mistrust, distrust, maybe even disgust, or feelings of uncertainty, or, or doubt, or, or just a feeling of, who is this Jesus guy that, that one-third of the world worships and celebrates? Right? So, so whether if this is your first time at a church, or if you've accepted Christ long ago, and, and you're just like, you know what, I'm going to put roots down even deeper and grab a hold of, of his grace and truth even more with my life, or if you're like that person that I mentioned who, who kind of went away from church and you're just starting to dip your toes back in, I wanted to take us all back 2,022 years ago, right, where, where they were simply a couple of dozen of mostly Galilean men and women who found themselves wrestling with those same questions that we have, that are in the same situations that we are in. In the same spots of life. Right? On the, the afternoon after the crucifixion, two men, all right, two men, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, they go to the, the Roman governor of the area, Pontius Pilate, and they ask for the body of Jesus. They ask for permission to remove his lifeless body from the cross. All right, we can read this in John chapter 19, and if you don't have a Bible, you can take a Bible that are in the seats in front of you. You can take those with you. We're going to be all over today, but if you want to take a Bible or want a Bible, take those Bibles. They are free for you to take, to use, to have, to give away. All right, so we can read about Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus asking Pilate for the body of Jesus right, in John chapter 19. Now, some of you may not know this, but victims of crucifixion uh, were normally just left to rot. Victims of crucifixion were normally just left there, hanging for months after they died on the cross. Right? The, the goal of crucifixion, the goal of the cross for the Romans was, was not just death. There were easier and simpler and more cost-effective, quicker and less gruesome ways to kill a man. Right, the goal of crucifixion was very specific. It was oblivion. It was oblivion. Right? It was, the goal was that no one would ever know that you have lived a life. Right? That you would be gone without a trace. No grave, no place for your loved ones 
to mourn. Your body was, was left where it could no longer hold itself up on the cross. Right? It would literally start to fall apart and rot and fall to the ground. And when that finally happened to your body, when you're on the cross, it was loaded into a cart and just dumped outside of town away from, from people where, where wild dogs could, could find your, your rotting corpse and your bones and they could gorge themselves on it, gnaw on it until you were, you were just gone, right? But, I know that's pretty, that's pretty thought for Easter. But as, <laughs> but as with most things, for the right price, occasionally the remains of a crucified body could be purchased, and so these two prominent citizens risked their reputations to purchase Jesus' body, his dead body. Joseph and Nicodemus had hoped that Jesus was who he had claimed he was, right? as did all of his first century followers. But now he was dead. He was dead. Right? Clearly to them, Jesus was not the Messiah. He was not the chosen one. He was not the savior. But they had at least come to the conclusion that Jesus had been tried and executed unjustly. They had come to that conclusion. That's right. Uh-oh. Right? They came to the conclusion. They came to the conclusion that he didn't deserve the fate of a common criminal. So the, the least they could do was provide Jesus with a proper burial. Right, so, so after retrieving the body, the two men along with others prepared the body for burial according to the regulations of the Jewish customs. Right, and then they placed the body of Jesus in a cave that had been recently renovated to serve as a tomb. They, they sealed the opening and they headed for home. It was done. It was finished. It was over. So the disciples, like Thomas, who would later earn an unfortunate nickname, he fled the city altogether. He left. He got out of the Dodge. Right? Peter, James, and John, and the rest of the guys, the disciples were all huddled together trying to figure out what was next. Right? Peter's thinking about rejoining the family fishing business. And, and Matthew, he had no job prospects to speak of. Right? He's like, what am I going to do? Right? Then in another part of town, there's a group of brokenhearted women. Broken-hearted women gathered together, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, who no doubt is in shock and is dismayed at what she had just witnessed. So with all that, right, with, with all that going on, take a look at this, right? We, we have to get this context. We need to understand this to move forward, all right? So there are confused citizens there's confused citizens, there are frightened disciples, there are broken-hearted women, but one thing you would not have found on that afternoon before the first Easter came was a Christian. All right? You would not have found a Christian. There were no Christians. There were, there were no believers. There were no Jesus followers. Nobody was forging their life on God. Nobody believed Jesus was the Son of God, God's Messiah, the Chosen One, the Savior of the world. Not certainly, right? He was definitely not the Savior. He couldn't save himself. He was in the tomb, dead after all, right? He was just placed in the grave. And nobody... And I mean, I mean, nobody was planning to keep the dream alive. Right? Nobody was planning to keep the Jesus movement going. Nobody planned on picking up and, and, and taking the banner forward. Right? Nobody, that was not on their radar. Nobody was going to pick up and, and carry on where Jesus left off. I mean, if Jesus could not keep himself alive, what hope did they have keeping his movement alive? And besides that, why bother? Well, why bother? Evidently, Jesus was not who he claimed to be, which was the whole point of the movement. <laughs> and this is so important. Right? Jesus' ministry... Right? And so many people miss this. Right? So we have, we have to get this, Foundry Church, this morning. Jesus' ministry, it did not center on some new ideology or a call for social or religious reform. Right? Jesus was not trying to reform or improve anything. 
Look, right, get this, right? He came to fulfill something. He came to fulfill something, to take uh, the old, right, to, to, to get rid of the old and fulfill it with something new, to make it new, right? The, the new covenant, which is in his blood. Like we celebrate through communion, right? Jesus, our Lord, and, and listen, and, and this does not fit, he doesn't fit the model of the average cultural warrior or even a social activist, right? If you think about it, most social movements are initially led by a very charismatic leader, a charismatic leader with a, a seemingly new message that appeals, that, that is positive and appeals to the outcast and the disenfranchised. And, and it is great. It's a great message. It's a wonderful thing. And when that person dies, right, when that charismatic leader kicks the bucket, what do their followers do? Right, well, if they don't drink the Kool-Aid too, what do they do? There's good, there's good leaders, right? Well, they take up the cause, don't they? Right? They, they pick up the banner. They move it forward. They keep their teachers' teaching alive, don't they? History is full of examples of that, bad and good. And I understand this. We understand this. And so one would assume that this was the case with Jesus, the God that we're forging our life on. He lived, he taught, he was executed, so naturally his, his followers felt the need to keep his message alive, his teaching alive, right? No! It's, that's wrong, right? That was not the case. No serious historian or theologian teaches that. Right? No, no historian or theologian embraces that theory, and neither does anyone who actually reads the Gospels clearly. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the, the first four books of the New Testament that detail the life and the ministry of Jesus. Right? No one teaches that for two reasons. To begin with, Jesus' message was not a message of liberation and revolution. It wasn't. Heck, it wasn't even a popular message. Read the Gospels, right? Jesus' message didn't appeal to anyone, just the opposite. He said, pay your taxes. Seriously? Right? Who's signing up to be a part of that? Right? right? Pray for your enemies. Yeah, you can count me out on that, right? right? He says, lust equals adultery. Right? Pluck your eye out if, you're, you know, if your eye starts to wander. Right? Turn the other cheek. Right? If someone asks you for your coat, give them your shirt. I got a belly. No one wants to see that, right? Right. Forgive, he says. Regardless, forgive. Right? He says every single time, guys, no one, no one is lining up for this teaching. Seriously, right? Jesus' teaching was impractical. It was untenable. It was not of this world. It was not of this world. Look, right? He, he introduced a kingdom ethic. That's what he did. He introduced a new way of thinking. That's what's new. A kingdom ethic. Not a kingdom. The kingdom. Because he's the king of kings. Right? A kingdom ethic that actually stood in contrast to both what the, the temple, the Jewish temple taught, and what the empire of Rome represented and stood for. And if I'm honest, most of the time his listeners... Jesus' listeners did not even understand what he was talking about. Right? That's what we've seen throughout this series the last few weeks. Right? They had no idea. Right? Seriously, how many times would he teach something and his disciples kind of were like uh, nonchalantly kind of circle back around and, and kind of look around to make sure everybody was gone. And they would, they would kind of go up to Jesus and be like, wait, what? <laughs> what, is, what did you say? What is that supposed to mean? Right? I mean, uh, they were confused. So the point is this, Foundry Church. Jesus did not come to leave his followers with just a collection of insights or short stories to pass on to the next generation. That's not what he did. Right? Take a look. we got to grab a hold of this truth. Jesus never called on his followers to trust in his ideas. He asked his followers to trust in him. 
to trust in him. In fact, that is the second reason we know that his followers were not intent on keeping the movement, the Jesus thing, alive after Jesus died. Right? Jesus' message and his ministry centered on him, on himself. It centered on what he claimed about and for himself. It centered on what he claimed about him, who he was. Right? And this drove the religious leaders crazy. It drove them up a wall. It drove them mad, right? In fact, in the, in the end, this is so important. In the end, it was not his ideas and insights uh, that got him crucified. It wasn't even his stories that got him crucified. It was who he claimed to be. That's what got him crucified. He claimed authority that only belonged to God. God alone, right? He claimed the authority to be able to forgive sins at will. He claimed to be greater than Moses, like the OG for the Jewish people. He claimed to be greater than the Jewish temple. He claimed to be greater than the Sabbath. He claimed to be greater than all of the prophets of the old. That's what led him to the cross. That's what got him crucified. His teaching was not the driving force of the movement. It was his outrageous claims about himself that kept the band together and kept the movement moving. I mean, just look at this. Right? Check this for an example. When John the Baptist was baptizing people and Jesus shows up at the Jordan River to be baptized himself, John looks up and he announces to the whole crowd that's gathered there out in the wilderness at the river, he says this. Behold, the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the entire world. That's what John the Baptist says about Jesus. And Jesus is like, he's not like, oh, John, John, take a chill pill, man. No, Jesus is like, yeah. Yeah, right? He, he claims it, right? It's who he is, right? And then even one time he, he said this, anyone who has seen me has seen God. He has seen the Father. He's making these claims. And then on one occasion, Jesus is he's preaching and he's teaching this message that was very unpopular and a little bit confusing. And the crowd that, that's listening to him, they start to grumble and, and they start to disperse and they start whining. And his disciples who were a bit concerned about this, about what was happening with the audience, with the crowd... Uh, they, they're worried about the, the losing some popularity. Right? And, and so Jesus knows what they're thinking because he's God. He can read their minds. Right? And so he turns to the 12 disciples and he says, you guys aren't thinking about leaving too, are you? And that's what he, that's what he says to the 12. And Peter, one of the disciples, he answered the question. And, and the response, the answer to the question actually reiterates just how central Jesus' claim about himself were to his movement. Right? So here's what Peter said. He says it in John 6, actually. Lord, to whom shall we go? Lord, to whom shall we go? Right? Peter does not say, oh, what else will we do? <laughs> right? Or, or who else, or what, you know, what are we going to believe in? No, he says, he says, Peter's statement is not about a what, it's not about a doing X, Y, Z, right? It's about a whom, it's about a person, right? To whom shall we go? Peter continues and says, in the, the gospel book of John, you have the, the words of eternal life. He says, nobody else is talking about eternity, and we have come to believe and to know that you, Jesus, are the Holy One, the Messiah of God. So Peter, Peter and the boys, they do not choose to follow Jesus because of what he taught. That's just not the case, right? The truth is this, really. They choose to follow Jesus in spite of what Jesus taught. Right? That's why they follow Jesus. In spite of all those hard and difficult and counterintuitive teachings of Jesus, they followed him because of who Jesus claimed to be. That's what was going down. That's what was happening. But apparently, evidently, they were wrong. They were wrong because now Jesus 
was dead. Their whom was deader than a doornail laying in a tomb. Dead. Gone. And everybody knew that the Holy One of God, the, the Messiah of God, the resurrection and the life couldn't die, wouldn't die. The Son of God, God in the flesh, could not be killed and definitely not crucified on a cross. So clearly, Jesus, their teacher, their friend, was not who he claimed to be. He wasn't the Messiah. So as his disciples watched Jesus die, watched him die, the Jesus movement died with him. And we know this to be the case because while they write themselves into the story, into the Gospels, as unfollowers, they give up. They unfollow. They quit following. Right? They're not diehard believers. They are not heroes. Nobody expected Jesus to die, but once he died, everybody expected him to stay dead. That's what dead people do, and that's what they thought. So Nicodemus and, and Joseph of Arimathea, they prepare his body to stay dead. On Easter morning, no one is standing outside the tomb, counting down from ten backwards, Right? There's no cake, there's no pie, there's no streamers or chicken wings, my definition of a party. Right? No one's expecting to party and to celebrate Easter. They're not waiting for that. They were not waiting for or expecting the first Easter resurrection. On the contrary, a group of women, they leave home before dawn to repair Jesus' body for permanent burial. Right? They, they were there with Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea when they prepared it the first time. And apparently, these women, they weren't satisfied with how the men did it. <laughs> now, you ladies, you understand this, right? right? Do you know how many times Christina has reloaded the dishwasher? Because apparently, there's a magical way. <laughs> there's a magical way to load the dishwasher. <laughs> Anyways, these women, they go back. To reload the dishwasher, to refold the towels, to redress the kids, right? To re-anoint Jesus' body for permanent burial with the right ointments and the right spices, the good stuff. The point being this, right? When, when Jesus uttered his last words, when, when Jesus breathed his last breath, everybody who once believed stopped believing. They stopped believing. Those who had hoped Stopped hoping. The movement, the Jesus thing, it died because Jesus was the movement. He was the reason. So now, with that in mind, right, what I want to do is I want to pause the story right there. Right, with that in mind, I just want to hit the pause button and I want us to... to um, Remember, right, Jesus, he's been crucified. Everything is kind of going back to normal, right? The uh, people are getting on with their lives. They, they expect Jesus to, to stay dead. They're looking for new jobs. They're, they're moving on, right? So with that in mind, let's hit the pause button. And I want to tell you about my niece, Annie. Now, you thought I was going to go something deep, right? <laughs> I want to tell you about my 13-year-old niece, Annie. And she is absolutely hilarious. The only problem is, is she does not know that she's hilarious. All right, let me give you an example. A little bit ago, Christina and I, we were talking to Annie on the FaceTime. That's what I call it to my niece Annie because she gets mad that I say the FaceTime. She told us the, the funniest thing happened to her at school and she could not wait to tell us about it. And so this was the story that our 13-year-old niece told us. She said, uh, we were all sitting in Miss Smith's math class. Now, I don't remember the name of the actual teacher, but Miss Smith sounds like a teacher's name, and it's not important to the story. So they were all sitting in Miss Smith's math class working on math, and then Miss Smith, I should have picked a better name, <laughs> said, yeah. She said, yeah, that will get you every time. All right, that's what Annie said. And then she proceeded to fall on the ground laughing hysterically. Just losing it with laughter. I mean, for minutes, just rolling on the ground with laughter. And, and Christina and I, we, we looked at each other. We tried to figure out what was happening. Uh, we did what you were doing right now with just like, <laughs> right? I mean, there was literally like crickets chirping, right? <laughs> 
And Christina, in a loving Aunt Christina way, quietly said, Annie, that was a great story. I think we missed something, though. Right there, would you try to tell us that again? Right? I mean, only, only Christina could have said it that way. You see, Annie, our niece, has a habit of telling the punchline without the joke. <laughs> or telling an entire story, but beginning the story at the end. Now, I love her, but her stories never, and I mean absolutely never, make any sense. And that is what is so hilarious about them. Right? You just kind of have to guess, and you have to fill in the blanks, and then you just end up laughing at her laughing. Right? She has a laugh like Christina that is just contagious, and so it all works out in the end because you end up laughing at her backwards story or punchline first joke. And as a family, we've, we've come to call stories like this, no matter who tells them or where we hear them, Annie stories. That's just what we call them, stories that are missing the middle, right? Stories that are missing the meat in the middle, the, the marrow in the bone, right? Now listen, I think we can do that as well. I think we can. I think we can do that as well. We sometimes tell the story of Christianity like an Annie story. We we talk about Jesus. We say how how awesome and a great person he is. He said all these amazing, life-changing things. And we look around and, and we see the world and the millions of Christians. But something is missing. Right? What happened between all the disciples fleeing dispersing, wondering, going back to their old life, going back to their before and today. Right now, us sitting here in this room at church with bagels and coffee. Right, when we, when we leave the most important details out, we, we leave the middle out. When we do that, it becomes all about the religion of Christianity and misses following Jesus and why we should follow Jesus, why we should be people who forge our life on Jesus. So the the question we must all ask, and perhaps the, the question we never thought to ask or have never been challenged to ask is this, what happened between the crucifixion, the cross, and a movement that engulfed an empire and then circled the globe? That's the question. And what really happened to bring back uh, all the followers of Jesus and to keep this movement going? Because if all we know is the crucifixion, the death of Jesus, and then we're here today, boom, right? With churches all over the world, clearly part of the story is missing. There has to be more to the story. In fact, without more, the story does not make any sense. And the more to the story is actually why we are here. right? Because the, the more to the story is why there's a story to begin with. It's just, it's just the truth. right? Clearly, something, something, something happened. And fortunately, we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the gospel writers, the writers of the life and, of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus to tell us what happened, to tell us the middle. So, so I want us to lean in here as we, as we kind of start to wrap this up. I want us to lean in, Foundry Church. This is the rest of the story. This is the, the middle, the meat of the story. Early on Sunday morning, following Passover, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and she saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. But she's not a superstitious woman. So she ran to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved, John, and said, They have taken the Lord. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Now worse... We don't even know who they are, right? But clearly there was a third party involved. Somebody or some bodies stole the body, and nobody in the story assumes a miracle. Nobody's assuming a resurrection. They are not superstitious people, and they didn't listen to Jesus in the first place. Nobody's assuming a resurrection. They expected Jesus to do what dead people always do, stay dead. 
And this would have been the perfect opportunity to write themselves into the story as the diehard believers who never lost hope, but they did not because they were not. So they couldn't even think of that. Luke, who interviewed the disciples later, writes, but they, talking about Simon Peter and John and the other disciples, but they did not believe the women because their words seemed like nonsense to them. But the disciples were curious. So Peter and John, it says, started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple, John, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Quick side note. I love, I love the fact that John, while he writes his story account, puts in there that he was first to the tomb. (laughs) Like it's a super important detail to the the Easter story. Right? I'm the fastest disciple. I beat everyone to the tomb. I talk about competitive when you get 12 guys together, 11 guys together. Anyways, right, when they, when they get there, he says, when he gets there, he says he bent over. He looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go into the tomb. And old boy John, right, well, he may have been faster, but he wasn't braver. When Simon Peter finally gets there, he comes in running behind everybody else. And I'm surprised John doesn't say when Peter got there, he was gasping for air because he was out of shape. No, it says that when Peter got there, he went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. And finally, finally, the other disciples who had reached the tomb first also went inside. And now, all right, the, the next line. Guys, the next line is so powerful. The next line is, in some ways, a summary of how the Christian faith works. The, the, the text says this, he saw and he believed. He saw and he believed. As it turned out, Jesus was, in fact, who he said he was. Who he claimed to be. And later, Jesus would appear to his followers who were still in the city, and eventually to those who had fled the city. But once the news had reached them that he was still alive, they came back and he appeared to them as well. And the band of married men and women re-engaged with the message and the mission of their Lord, the God that they're going to forge their life on from that moment forward. And this is so important. This is so important. They did not re-engage with Jesus because of what he taught That wasn't the case. They did not re-engage with Jesus because of something they simply believed. They re-engaged because of what happened. Something happened, right? Look, they re-engaged because of what they saw, who they saw, their resurrected rabbi, their friend, and as they would discover, their savior. That's why they continued the mission of Christ. That's why they took it forward. That's why we are here today. The Apostle Paul, who initially steps into the pages of history as somebody who hates Christians and tried to eliminate the church. The the Apostle Paul, before he became a Christian, was an advocate for the, the temple. An advocate for everything that had been traditional. He, he was an advocate for everything that had been in place. The old covenant. And, and not the new that Jesus bought with his blood and brought into existence. In fact, he actually colluded with the Romans to make sure that Christianity would never survive the first century in the first place. But once he became a Jesus follower, once he forged his life on God, he said so many things so well. It certainly summarizes everything that we've been talking about the last seven weeks during this this follow series of sermons at the Foundry Church. He says it so better than I could ever say it. So reiterating the importance of and the centrality of the resurrection of what happened, here's what he writes in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, right? If there's no resurrection of the dead, in other words, if the whole category of the resurrection is a fairy tale, It could never happen for anybody. All right? And then he says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Not even Christ has been raised. In other words, if nobody nobody can be raised from the dead, Christ was not raised from the dead. But this is what he, he says next, and it's amazing. And if Christ has not been raised, right, our preaching, 
our teaching, right, <laughs> our faith is useless. That's what he says. Right? Here's the implication of what he's saying. Right? Apart from every single solitary event, apart from what happened, the faith of every Christian who has ever lived is useless, worthless. It's a fairy tale. The Christian faith, the church, everything that those of us who are followers of Jesus hold dear as followers of Jesus, it all rises and it all falls and it is all held together according to the Apostle Paul by a single event, the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus. So what happened, right? What makes sense? Of what happened. Jesus rose from the dead. That's what happened. That's the missing piece of the puzzle. That's the explanatory piece of the puzzle. From why we get from these, these guys fleeing and dispersing and going back to their before to us here today. right? And ultimately that is what breathes life and courage and hope back into his flailing away followers. And gets us in here right now saying, hey, we want to take next steps in our faith with God. We just don't want to go through the motions. We want to be followers and not just consumers. right? The resurrection of Jesus is not one of many Bible stories. Right? It's not one of just the stories that we know. It is the story. It is the point, right? It is the golden thread in everything else in Scripture. Apart from the resurrection, there would be no story, right? Because apart from the resurrection, no one would have bothered to document the story of Jesus, like we already said, right? I mean, think about it. How many, how many criminals crucified by ancient Rome can you name other than Spartacus? Right? And we only know Spartacus because he, he led a slave revolt that was crushed very violently. Right? He wasn't even successful. Right? So apart from that, seriously, right, the resurrection of Jesus, the events associated with his life, well, if, if there was no resurrection, we know what would have happened to him. Right? His life would have been reduced just to three or four sentences in the ancient writings of Josephus, an ancient historian or some other ancient historian. Right? Apart from the resurrection, there would be no church. There would be no New Testament or Old Testament because it was Christians in the first place, post-Easter resurrection, that began calling the Hebrew Scriptures old. Right? So every year, every year at this time, we pause to celebrate and remember that the reason we follow Jesus is not because something was written. Because, like we said, it was not going to be written about. Right? Jesus died. People went back to that business as usual. We follow Jesus because something happened. We are reminded, Foundry Church, that the question to which we must fasten our faith and the faith of this generation and of the next generation is simply this question, what happened? What happened? What happened is what fills the gap in the story. It's the middle. It's the marrow of the bone. It explains why that crucified Galilean man is worshipped by over one-third of the world's population today. So what happened is the Easter resurrection happened. And we can't say it enough. Jesus rose from the dead. And we don't have to believe we don't believe he rose from the dead because the Bible tells us so. We believe because a man named Matthew told us so, and Mark told us so, and Luke told us so, and John told us so, and James, the brother of Jesus, tells us so. James, the brother of Jesus, believed that his brother rose from the dead and was the Lord of all men. Think about that, right? I don't know about you, but if anybody's going to say that Jesus' resurrection did not happen, it was going to be his brother, right? <laughs> My brother and my sister, they call me out all the time for exaggerating stories. Right? If Jesus did not raise from the dead, James would have said so, but he didn't. 
So long before, and this is so important, long before there was a Bible as we know it, there were men and there were women whose faith was anchored, whose faith was forged upon and sustained by the events of the resurrection, the event that sparked the movement of the church. So the resurrection of Jesus actually solved several histories of greatest mysteries. It explains why his early followers suddenly regained courage. It explains why the, the early church survived the dual persecutions of the temple and of Rome, the empire. But the resurrection of Jesus resolves another great mystery as well, a personal mystery. The mystery of where do we stand with God? Where do we stand as individuals, with God. The reason it resolves this mystery is because the only person who ever lived who spoke with certainty and authority on this topic is Jesus. He was clear. He spoke with such authority that people marveled and religious leaders trembled in their boots or sandals or whatever they were wearing. And his first century audience had every right to be skeptical. But if someone claims to speak for God, claims to be God in the flesh, then predicts their own death and their resurrection, and then pulls it off, we should pay attention to whatever that person has to say. And here is what he had to say about where you, about where you stand with God. Right? This is what he has to say about where you stand with God. Right, John. The apostle who beat Peter to the empty tomb but hesitated to rush in tells us, For God so loved the entire world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes, whoever places their trust in him, whoever forges their life on him shall not be lost to God the Father. They shall not perish but have eternal life. Eternal life. And in spite of what you have heard, in spite of how you were treated by the, the church or Christians in the past, or any doubts that you have or questions or baggage that you're carrying and you think you just you don't deserve the grace of God, whatever, right? John continues. Here's what he writes. For God, your heavenly Father, for God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. In an unprecedented move, a turn of events that Jesus predicted but all of his followers missed, in a twist that no one anticipated, Jesus' resurrection actually punctuated the point of his crucifixion. His secret ambition, his, his purpose was to die so that you can live. So that you can live life to the full, it says in Scripture. So that you can live life abundantly, it says in the Word. A life that is forged on Him. He perished. He was lost to God the Father so that you don't have to be. The crucifixion made no sense until the Easter resurrection. And then it made all the sense in the world because it validated his claim to be the ransom for many and the savior of the world on a personal level. It validated his authority to forgive sin, your sin, and my sin. And so as the, the band comes on up, as they're getting situated... If you are a Jesus follower, if you have given your life to Christ, if you have already said, Jesus, I accept your grace and your truth, and, and I forged my life on you, and you've met him in the waters of baptism, right? If you're a Christian, the resurrection of Jesus means that, well, it means that, that you can have peace with God. That your prayers are heard. That your faithfulness matters. That your generosity, that it counts for something. That your work is not in vain when you do it in the name of the Lord and for his glory and honor. But listen, if you're not a Jesus follower, if you have not accepted his grace, the death and the resurrection of him, if you've not believed that and confessed him to be your Lord or met him in the waters of baptism, as some of you are going to do in just a minute, if you have not done those things, 
His resurrection, His resurrection provides you with a reason to believe, a reason to put a hammer down and to forge, a reason to follow, a reason that supersedes your bad church experience, your bad church person experience, your past life regrets, whatever baggage that you think is holding you back. His grace supersedes all of that. Because long before there was any of that, baggage, doubts, concerns, whatever. There was an event that punctuated the claims of Jesus and one of those being that God loves you. And he wants you to follow him. Christianity is not faith in faith. It's not just a religion to perform. Christianity, it is faith in a person who demonstrated through his life, his death, and his Easter resurrection that he is worthy of our devotion, worthy to have you forge your life on him, not because of something that was written, but because something happened. Jesus of Nazareth rose from the dead, and because he is raised from the dead, Foundry Church, get this, we have the chance of forgiveness We have a chance of of guidance and of power and of hope that this life is not in vain. That there's grace, that there's mercy, there's everlasting life that is available for us to grab a hold of. It's not the absence of chaos. It's not the absence of the baggage. It's not the absence of, of the mistakes we've made. It's the presence of Christ in our life. That is what is available. Because of the resurrection of Easter, we have faith in an undefeated Savior. We have faith in a conquering hero. The victor, the lion-hearted Lamb of God, is our God. Because of his Easter resurrection, there is light in the darkness. We have hope in the midst of despair. And like the song that we're just about to sing says, we have a king that was laying in the tomb. There was doubt. There was fear. There was disgrace. But but he walked out. And he left all that crud defeated there in the tomb. In an empty tomb. And if you want to give your life to him, now is your chance. There's no better time than this Easter Sunday. We have have a few baptisms, and you ladies can go to wherever Kirsten told you to go. Todd, if you want to do that, if you want to give your life to him, now's your chance. We have a few baptisms, and all you have to do is you got to come over. I'm going to be in the water right up here in just a second. All you got to do is kind of say, like, hey, I want to do that too. Count me in because I want to follow Jesus. I believe in his resurrection. I believe and I repent and I confess Jesus to be my Lord and I want everybody to know it. I want to be baptized for the forgiveness of my sins and for the gift of the Holy Spirit as it says in the book of Acts. If that is you, all you need to do is say, let's do it. Listen, there's no better time than to do it on Easter Sunday. First of all, the water's warm. We've been a church since September of 2018. And I've never turned the heater on for baptism. <laughs> but Jim back here texted me on Friday and said, hey, turn the heater on. You're not going to want to miss that opportunity. Because I can't count that next time it's going to be warm. This is your chance to do it. All you got to do is say, me too. Terry's over here. She's got shorts, swimsuits, t-shirts. You don't got to get your church clothes wet. All right, we got it for you. Let's stand. Let's sing. Let's worship. Let's celebrate that empty tomb, the resurrection of Jesus.